to jump right into what is for us a summer-long look at how Jesus told us to pray. Now, if there's one thing that I want you to be able to remember when we get out of this summer-long look at the Lord's Prayer, I want you to remember that, that this is not what Jesus told us to pray. In fact, right before he gave the disciples this model of prayer, he told them, quote, and when you pray, do not use vain repetition as the heathen do. Um, in other words, don't just keep saying this, right? For they think they're going to be heard by their many words. This, then, is how you pray, not what you pray. So we are going to engage in some repetition right now, but it is not going to be vain, all right? So let's say this together uh, as we kind of press it into this model into our heads. Join me. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Give us this day, today, our daily bread. And it is on this request that this whole model of prayer suddenly makes a turn. So far, what Jesus has been petitioning God for, and he's already made a couple of requests, they were things concerning God, his name, his kingdom, and his will. Steve and Tim and I have talked about those over the last few weeks, but today, what we're going to look at is Jesus is essentially saying, after we have prioritized the model of prayer right, after we have put the things of God before our own felt needs, and why? Not because God is like a narcissist in the clouds, but because those are the things that are the priorities. Those are the things that we actually need the most. Then you can bring to God the petitions regarding yourself. It says, Jesus says, after praying for the glory and the kingdom of God, pray for your needs. Specifically, he says, he uses this term, pray for daily bread. And perhaps there's no more loaded sentence in all of the scriptures than that. Seven words. Give us this day our daily bread. I mean, it, it, the concept of daily bread is so full of meaning, and it unlocks in so many ways the power and the purpose and the mystery behind prayer. You see, when Jesus said to those that were following him, give us this day our daily bread, they had a frame and a reference for it that we don't. When we just said it, we just said it. When they heard it, it harkened them back to the history of their people. Let's look at it. Now, if you've been around the church, you know some of the story. Genesis is the first book in the Bible, and Genesis is essentially the grand beginning of our story, our creation, God's purpose for us, which was to walk and to live and to work and enjoy Him and one another and the creation. But you know, if you've been around, that wasn't enough for us. It wasn't enough for them, for them then or us now. Uh, why? Mostly because we choose another path. We are really big fans of building our own kingdoms, not his, and being our own kings. This has significant consequences then and now. It separates us from God. We live with this brokenness inside us. We miss out on our purpose. But God never gives up. 
pursuit of his people, he, 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 if you read in Genesis, he begins his pursuit of people through men like Abraham, Isaac, onto Jacob and Joseph. And Genesis actually shares the story of God's pursuit of his people into the establishment of a nation called Israel. Now, in the second book of the Bible, uh, it's a book called Exodus, this nation that God creates of people, this covenant people, they find themselves enslaved by the current ruling world empire, Egypt. And God calls them out of slavery, out of Egypt, to himself, under a new leader that he's raised up named Moses. Now, you know the story, it's on every Easter, right? Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston, Big Shoulders, old, really a pretty not very good film, actually, right? And it goes on forever, but that's another story. Um, but if you watched it, God does all of these crazy miracles to get his people out. And when he does, after he's performed miracle after miracle after miracle, he calls them out to himself. And where does he call them to? The wilderness. In fact, specifically, he calls them to the desert. Now, if you have ever been called by God, blessed by God, seen him move in miraculous ways in your life, felt really close to him at one moment and followed him, yet you find yourself in a desert this morning, wondering, well, wait a minute, what happened? Where are you? This is not just their story, then maybe it's yours. So, so let's jump in. Here's what happened. Uh, this account, this Exodus account was written by this Moses, this new leader. According to Moses, it was the 15th day of the second month after they'd come out of Egypt into the desert and they're getting hungry. It's the 15th day of the second month. In fact, this is how hungry they got. They grumbled if, quote, if we had only died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, I wish you had just killed me. There we sat around pots of meat and we ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Now, guys, can you imagine the audacity? A people loved by God, called by God, freed by God, miracle blessed by God, now complaining about God. Have you ever heard of such a thing? Are you aware of anybody that could be so blessed and the next minute complaining? Now, the reality is, unlike a lot of us, they actually had something to complain about. They had a real problem. They had a felt need. They were hungry, like real hungry. And they began to presume that God, despite all that he had done. Now, remember, these are the same people that just walked through the middle of the Red Sea. They begin to presume that because they're hungry, God has dropped the ball and has let them down again. And what do they begin to do? Just like us all the time, when we get ourselves in desert places and we begin to wonder if God's there, they start to look forward or look backwards to the good old days of slavery and think, you know what? God's not coming through for me. Forget God. Maybe I'm just going to go back to the way things were. And so we jump into the story. The scriptures say, Moses writes, Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I'll test them and see whether they'll follow my instructions. And on the sixth day, they're to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. 
And so here's what God is saying to his people. I'm going to do it again. I am yet again going to provide for you grumblers miraculously. And I'm going to do it in two specific ways. I'm going to provide bread daily, daily bread for my people. And I'm going to provide enough for them each day. And one day a week, in order that you don't have to go out and do this day after day, I'm actually going to let you sit chill. Chill is a biblical word for Sabbath. I'm going to allow you to not have to go out on the Sabbath. I'm going to, I've created this day for your rest. I'm going to give enough so you don't even have to go out on one day. You'll, for one day, you'll get two days worth of food. And so Moses writes, when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is this? For they did not know what it was. Moses says to them, it's the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer. Now, an omer was an ancient measure, probably equivalent to about two to three liters. Kind of think of a two-liter bottle of soda. Take an omer for each person you have back in your tent. And the Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much didn't have too much, and the one who gathered little didn't have too little. And here comes the key to the whole story, guys. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. And so God, once again, for his people, he miraculously provides, and very specifically, notice he provided for them just as much as they needed, and just when they needed it. But he was going to do it day by day by day. Now, the Israelites had a couple problems with that. And what I would tell you, it's probably the same problems that I have with it, and maybe you do too. See, confession time for me, I don't want just what I need just when I need it. I would prefer to have more than I need, like way more than I need, and I want it right now. I mean, really, we're in church, you're all spiritualed up, right? But let me just, let's kind of be truthful here. Let's deal with the reality. When is the last time you were happy with getting just what you needed? I can't remember the last time I was happy to get just what I needed. Now, I know you're looking going, well, I am. Sure, sure, sure. I know. I remember. You told me. Remember that last annual review you had at work and your boss called you in and told, told you how you were crushing your goals? You were blowing the other sales guys and targets away. He said you were su doing such a good job that he was going to give you a big raise. I remember. Remember how you told him, oh, no, no, no. I don't need a raise. I already have just what I need. Just give it to someone else. Remember when you did that? I mean, has anyone ever seen a buffet advertised as an all-you-can-need buffet? <laughs> anyone? Just come in and you can take just what you need. We have all-you-can-eat buffets, like all-you-can-possibly-stuff-in-your-gut buffets. And now, I don't, I don't eat at a lot of buffets, but I have been to some all-you-can-eats. And see, the thing about all-you-can-eat, like, do you know, remember, okay, if you've done it right, we do it with seafood sometimes when we go on vacation. You can, oh, you can eat crab legs, right? So we'll sit there and eat the crab legs. And you know when you get to that feeling where you're like, I'm a disgusting human being, right? <laughs> like, your stomach is just, there's butter everywhere and you're stuffed. Yet, 
What do you do? You order another one just to make sure, right, that you can't possibly put any more into your gut. I mean, which one of us has not, like, refused an up... I mean, can you imagine, for, I, 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 I fly on planes, right? This is the waitress coming back and going, Sarah, I, I see that, you, you know, you, you're a little jammed in there. Would you like to move up to first class? No! I have all the leg room I need right here. The grocery store gets this all the time. You know, you go, I see it with chips. You go and you buy, you go to buy a bag of Doritos, right? And there's the giant bag next to it for the same price. Does anybody buy the smaller bag and go, no, this is just what I'm going to need. Why would I buy that? You buy the bigger bag. This is why your cupboard is full of stale chips at home. This principle explains all of that. And day by day, I mean, are you kidding me? Day by day, who could live with that kind of uncertainty? I mean, I want more than I need, and I want it right now, or else, or else I might have to not rely on myself and what I stored up. I might have to take comfort in something other than me or my savings. I, I might have to have just what I need that if I mean, if I have to live that way, I mean, that would mean I have to trust somebody other than me. Uh, it means I have to live by faith and not by sight. Who would want that? Yeah, and neither did the Israelites. And then Moses said to them, guys, no one's to keep any of it till morning. God's giving you just what you need. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses and they kept part of it until morning. But then it was full of maggots and began to smell. See, the Israelites did just what you and I would do, given the opportunity. They run into the field and they grab their daily bread, all right. But it's like enough daily breads for 20 or so dailies. I mean, why? Why would I trust God to provide when I can just what I can take it myself, I can provide for myself what I need. After all, aren't I much more trustworthy with God's stuff than he is? Which reminded me of a story. I read it this week. Some of you know I have a financial background, so I, I stay up on some of the stuff. Money Magazine posted this fascinating article about retirement. Uh, if you are kind of in the financial world, a lot of times in the corporate world, when you get towards the end of your career, sometimes they'll offer you a package, a buyout of your, your pension program, and they'll give you a lump sum. They're off, they'll offer you a lump sum versus the annuity, the pension that will pay you out over your lifetime. This is very similar when if you win the lottery, right, all of those of you that have won the lottery, right, you're offered a lump sum payment or an annuity. What does everybody pick in almost every circumstances? The lump sum, absolutely. I am much more trustworthy with God's stuff than leaving it to God. Except for the fact Money Magazine did a little research on this and the title of the article was a scary percentage of retirees blow through their workplace savings when they take a lump sum. They did the work on it. They showed that um, a fifth of people, 20% of those who opt to take their pension through a lump sum, run through all of the money in five years. See, I don't, I don't want just what I need just when I need it. I want more than I need, and I want it right now because I think I know better, but what if it turns out that we are not nearly as trustworthy with God's stuff as he is. 
One researcher did the math on what God had provided for his people in the, uh, the wilderness, his trustworthiness. And so using a pretty conservative estimate, he found that God provided for the nation of Israel, ready for this, 1.8 billion quarts of manna per year. And over the 40 years, God provided them 72 billion quarts of manna. Which you would think at some point the people would say, you know what? He knows what he's doing. We could probably trust him. Maybe I could just rely on him, not need to worry so much. Maybe he's going to provide just what I need, just when I need it, because he's done it like 72 billion times. I think it would have done the people of Israel well to listen to the often issued advice of my mother. Growing up, we had uh, four siblings within five years, three boys. And so there was a lot of fights, like a lot of fights. And uh, it was constantly bickering, battering, punching, and headlocks, and, you know, nogies and all the rest. Um, and so my mother, oftentimes, when she couldn't take it anymore, she would scream back, it often seemed to the back seat of the car, Enough is enough! You would think after 72 billion quarts of manna, the Israelites could have said, you know what, <laughs> in terms of relying on God, enough is enough, like, it's enough. We, he will provide enough and it'll be enough. Now, you might look at them with disdain and go, boy, 72 billion gallons, how could they possibly not have trusted in God? But take a look at our little community church here. Say we have about 500 people that come on a Sunday and... I don't know what the average age is. Say the average age is 40 years old. That would mean that God has provided for each of us individually about 45,000 meals. And as a church, he's provided daily bread for us. Are you ready? 22 million times. 22 million times God has shown us, just us, that he'll provide just what we need, just when we need it. Church, can I get you to think about adopting a new adage, a new life saying, post it on your walls. Kids, you're looking for a cool tattoo? Here it is. For followers of God, trust this, live this way. Enough is enough. Can I get you to say it with me one time? Enough is enough. See, you don't believe it, but it's true. See, God has promised to provide for us enough. The model of prayer Jesus lays out for us is to bring to God our needs. Here's the key. To bring to God our needs, not our greeds. See, we get ourselves caught up in our greeds and we lose contentment with what we have, what we've been given, and we forget that God has already provided for our needs. Now, this is natural. It happens even to the most spiritual of us. Paul, disciple, met the risen Jesus Wrote most of the New Testament, teaching his prodigy, Timothy, how to live. Here's what he wrote to Timothy. He said, Timothy, for we brought nothing into the world, we could take nothing out of the world, but if we have food and clothes, clothing, we'll be content with that. Now, I want you to track deeper with me for a minute on this, because it's pretty interesting. What is it about the Israelites and about you and I that makes enough not enough. I mean, you can get the tattoo, but it's really hard to live by. I mean, why do we have such a propensity to hoard? If you think about it, 
A lot of Jesus' stories are about hoarders. You ever watch that show on TV? That's a horrible show. Like, don't eat within an hour of watching that show. But if you think about Jesus' parables, there's a lot of stories about hoarding. The prodigal son, dad, I'd like you to be dead now, and can I have my inheritance, all of my stuff, more than I need right now? The story of, of the farmer who his, his, his crop is coming in and he has more than he needs. So remember, he goes, I'm going to build bigger barns. And then I could say to myself, I have plenty of grain laid up. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Remember the rich young ruler? Well, you, you got enough stuff. Stole that stuff and come with me. I'll provide enough. Enough will be enough. Well, I don't know about that. Now, certainly it goes to a deep-seated brokenness issue that all of us have. We're all trying to build our kingdoms to be our kings. Who wants to trust and rely or follow or believe that God would provide when I would think I, I might do better? But there's another concept at work here for you and I. I think it actually messes our lives up in significant ways in a lot of areas. Let me explain. Maybe the best way to explain it is to show you a picture of what that looks like. The non-daily bread mindset, the enough is not enough way of living. We teach our kids this all the time. We, we ingrain it to them early in life. Are you familiar with the pinata party? What genius thought this was a good idea, right? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to jam a box full of candy. We're going to have blindfolded children swing a bat within close proximity of others. And then when the candy falls down... There is a no-holds-barred, no-rules swarming of the thing. I mean, the eighth graders love it, right? But my fourth grader comes home with a broken nose because of a pinata party. Now, of course, you and I, I mean, we're older, we're more mature. We've settled into a spiritual discipline of understanding enough is enough until those Black Friday sales roll around. And then it's like a pinata party for adults, right? all to save 50 bucks on a flat-screen television. Professor and theologian Henry Nowen, he writes about our temptation to hoard in his book called Bread for the Journey. Here's what he wrote. He said, as fearful people, we're inclined to develop a mindset that makes us say, there's not enough food for everyone, so I better be sure I have enough for myself in case of emergency. Or there's not enough knowledge for everyone to enjoy, so I better keep my knowledge to myself so no one else will use it. There's not enough love to give to everybody, so I better keep my, remember the eighth grade lunch table? So I better keep my friends for myself because I don't want others to take them away. This is a scarcity mentality. It involves hoarding whatever we have, fearful that we won't have enough to survive. I love this. The tragedy, however, is that what you cling to ends up rotting in your hands. Now, and continued, the opposite of a scarcity mentality is an abundancy mentality. An abundancy mentality says there's enough for everyone. There's more than enough food and knowledge and love. With this mindset, we give away whatever we have to whomever we meet. When we see hungry people, we give them food. When we meet ignorant people, we share our knowledge. When we encounter people in need of love, we offer them friendship and affection and hospitality. We introduce them to our family. We bring them to our friends. When we live with this mindset, we will see the miracle that what we give away multiplies. Food, knowledge, love, everything. There will be leftovers. 
What allows somebody to pray for daily bread, to say enough is enough, is believing that there is enough of God's blessings and provisions to go around. I don't have to glom it all up. For the Israelites, it was coming to see that after 72 billion quarts of manna, there was plenty of manna. God would provide. He could be trusted. I don't have to run out in the field every morning. For you and I, it's coming to see that God has provided, just for our little church, 22 million meals already. There is an abundance of God's provision and blessing. I don't need to fear or hoard. God, by his very nature, is a God of abundance and not scarcity, and you are his children. This is not a prosperity sermon. This is a promise for needs and not greeds. But what if you and I lived with a a mentality of following a God, a providing God of abundance? Now, I'll share what's really frustrating as a pastor. This is a biblical principle and a biblical mindset that now the world is tapping into, but those of us that follow Jesus often don't subscribe to. In one of the great books of the last century, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen Covey explains when you live in a world of scarcity, you compete for available resources even when there's an abundance of them. An abundance mindset flows out of this deep inner sense of God-given personal worth and security. By faith, I'm the beloved, forgiven, renewed, restored son or daughter of the king. It's It's a paradigm grounded in belief that, look, it's God. There's more than enough for everyone. A scarcity mindset is this belief that there's not going to be enough, there's not going to be enough, there's not going to be enough, I'd better get mine. And it causes fear, stress, anxiety. I mean, when you get this, it can change your life in so many ways. I mean, today, all I need to do is ask God for my daily bread today, because enough is enough. There's actually plenty for everyone. When you do this and believe and trust in a God of abundance, it changes you. You will move from a person who constantly plays it safe. Oh, I have to be so careful. I mean, you have one life. And with your one and only life, do you just want to sit around hoarding and hoping and protecting? I have to stay in this dead-end job. I'm in my 40s now. They're hard to come by. I gotta stay in this bad relationship. This guy doesn't love God, he treats me terrible, but you know, I'm in my 30s and for women like me, I can't go back to school at night. There's not enough time. I should probably go to Guatemala, but what if I get sick? If I volunteer at church, they're gonna keep asking me again the following week. There's not enough time. (laughs) Right? This scarcity mindset, literally, when you, when you embrace it, it will paralyze you. You're stuck. If you, if you start to understand that you follow a God of abundance, you'll become more generous. A person with a scarcity mindset, you can't give sacrificially. If I give you money, who's going to take care of me? There'll be less for me. A mindset that trusts in a God of abundance and blessing blesses others all the time because they don't see the world as a zero-sum game. Just because you've got a bigger slice of the pie doesn't mean that mine's going to be smaller. And this doesn't just allow generosity. This allows for joy as others achieve and grow and get ahead. Do you remember when you were called into the office and the boss said to you, you know, 
You're doing a good job. But Jim in that cubicle next to you, he's blowing away our sales goals. He's increased his sales 20%. You've only increased yours five. You're going to get a 5% raise. But Jim, he's going to get 20%, and, and we're going to move him up to the corner office. Do you remember how happy you were? You weren't. Because you believe in a God of scarcity. Well, there's only so much blessing, and since he got his, I'm not getting mine. The concept of life being one competition, giant competition, goes away. There's enough for all of us, and God will provide just what we need, just when we need it. It makes us so much more thankful and less bitter. Instead of fretting what over others have, I can stop looking at them and start to be thankful for what I've been given. When you get this, check this out. I never really thought about this till this week. When you get this, you might notice something about this prayer you see, we think this, but it's not what's written. We think this. Jesus did not say, give me this day my daily bread. That's a prayer driven by a mindset of scarcity. There's not enough pinata candy. Give me enough of my pinata candy. There's not enough flat panels at Walmart. Give me a flat panel at Walmart. Jesus says, when you pray, pray, give us this day our daily bread. Because at deep levels, God, I trust, I believe there's enough for all of us. You can be trusted for it. I don't need to have more and I don't need it all today. I could take my eyes off me and think about you. This prayer for Jesus for daily bread is rooted in the a prayer of the writer of Proverbs. Now you might say, you know, John, I wanted to get a Bible tattoo. Not enough is enough. That's not biblical enough for me. Let me give you the Bible tattoo then. Parents, don't blame me. It's from the Bible. Here's what the writer of Proverbs said. He said, no one's going to get this tattoo either, by the way. <laughs> give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Because otherwise I might have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I might become poor and steal and dishonor the name of my God. That is a beautiful way to pray, God, let it be for me that enough is enough. And enough is enough is the great prayer of the heart of those who follow God. Now, lastly, as the servers come forward and the band comes up, uh, I, we're going to gather around the communion table as a church. I want to share one last meaning Jesus relays about daily bread. Some of you know the story. Jesus is teaching and people are following him and they're moving from place to place and crowds are beginning to gather and the day is growing long and the crowds are getting, just like the Israelites, hungry. And so Jesus looks at his disciples and he says to them, go and feed the multitude. To which the disciples say, how are we going to feed the multitude? We only have two fish and five loaves. Do you know what that is a mindset of? Scarcity. There's not enough here for these people. To which the God of abundance says, feed them. And miraculously, God provides for his people again. And there is left over. There is more than enough. Now, here's the interesting part. Jesus departs and he goes across the lake. And his disciples come and follow him. And Jesus goes, here's what he said. He goes, I know why you're here. He says, you're here because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. You're here because I provided this physical sustenance for you, and that's why you're here again. You want more of it. And he says, 
Don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which I give you. And so just like us, after 22 million meals, that wasn't enough. They want another sign, more proof. Well, God, you know, you're asking us for some crazy stuff. I mean, I don't know. Could you give me a sign? So they asked him, what sign will you give that we might believe you? What will you do? I mean, our ancestors, they ate the manna in the wilderness, as it's written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus, that's great, but, you know, we're hungry. Could you give us a sign? Remember, our ancestors, they got bread. And Jesus says to them, very truly, I tell you, it wasn't Moses who gives you the bread from heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, this sounds really good. Always give us this bread. Oh, Jesus, that's the provision we're looking for. That kind of blessing, the kind of stuff that doesn't run out. Would you promise to give us that so we don't have to worry about being hungry? And Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And so, guys, when Jesus says to pray, give us this daily bread, he isn't just talking about our physical needs. He's actually saying you have a bigger problem, you have a deeper hunger, a greater need than just physical. And he's the only one capable of quenching the thirst of your soul, the cry of your heart. Jesus says when you pray, pray that God this day would give you a daily provision of him. Enough of him for the day to empower and heal, guide and lead through this world into the next because there is a profound truth. We have a greater need for our souls than we do for our stomachs. And for that greater need, it turns out, you know what, here's another tattoo you could just add to the one you got. Enough is enough and Jesus is enough. And so this morning, for all the hungry, thirsty, Scared, tired of, tired of trying to run. I gotta get more, I gotta get more. What if something happens? Isaiah the prophet invites you to the table. He wrote this hundreds of years before Jesus prayed it. He says, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Come. Buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend your money for what is not bread and your wages for what do not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance.